I mean, I feel the same about laundry, right? Like you, you start the laundry and then like sometime later you got to go move it. And then sometime later you got to go get it again and then you got to fold it. So it's like a series of chores spread out over time. Uh, and for whatever reason, I'd rather just do it all. I want to, I want to do it and be done, which, I mean, I don't wash my clothes by hand, but maybe I should. Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 366 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the web programmer. I'm Sam and I'm the art not programmer. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's May 31th, 2020 U. And before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity in this show. And we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you very much for letting us grab your money every month. Uh, so it's been a fairly quiet week, uh, and not a lot of time has passed since we recorded the last episode, because we got a lot of scheduling weirdness, because <gasps> we're going to our dad's retirement party. Uh, we're all going on a little trip. Little trip upstate, up country, up to uh, Iowa. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sam's, up west. Over. Sam's going west state. We're going. I'm actually upstate. going down and over because we got to go to Charlotte and then over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. You kind of you're you're gonna take your mole machine and kind of tunnel down through. Yep. Uh, down and through. So our dad, the our druid dad, uh, the one who we've told stories about, how he can like look at a plant and tell you what it is, where it's from, how healthy it is. How many babies it's had. Yeah. And also um, when you need you to know. prune it. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, don't cut this one back yeah. in the spring. It'll kill it. You know what I mean? So you got to wait until yeah. early fall. He's like, 3.72 days from now, you're going to need to trim that branch back a quarter inch. Otherwise, you're going to have a real problem. You know, yep. one of those. Uh, so he has been a surgeon uh, in our hometown for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And he did some more medicine stuff before that because, you know, when you become a doctor, they sort of torture you for like a decade, I think. I think part of it is just deeply understanding pain. You know what I mean? You have to deeply understand before they let you practice medicine. Right. Because if your life is easy, then you can't understand what your patients are going through. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. yeah, Totally. So, uh, we just want to say that's very cool. Big congrats uh, for an amazing career. And now I think he's getting himself a motorcycle and he's just going to, he's just going to ride off into the sunset. Literally. Uh, That's what you do. Mm -hmm. So he's getting all the necessary safety, safety equipment and everything. But uh, I think, you know, if if that, that's a good retirement plan, I feel. Yeah. You know, saddle up on your steel steed and head off into the clouds, you know, head off into the mountainside. Yeah. Because people will say like, what are you going to do when you retire? And you can say, you mean, where am I going to do? <laughs> Everywhere. Yep. I don't know what I'm going to do when I get there, but I'm going to go there. <laughs> yep. But getting there is the, uh, is the journey, you know? So that's what's going to be The all journey is the journey. Yeah, I'm uh, mainly excited because this dude has worked his body to the bone uh, healing other people for 30 years. I mean, dude's back exploded while doing surgery this one time. And he yep. like, you know, sort of wrapped it up and then left, which is insane on a bunch of levels. Um, well, his back exploded me like a disc in his spine kind of ruptured or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To the point like, where one of the yeah. muscles in his leg died. So. 
you know, pretty. And he's like, well, let me let me make brutal. this a little pretty first before I hand it off to you know my support. Yeah, let me finish here. up this surgery before I go scream for three weeks. <laughs> undergo several surgical procedures. Uh, dude's yeah. a badass. So, kind of a bam. So yeah, uh, and now he can finally take care of himself. You know, and yeah. not not With have to spend so much time he has saving. <laughs> yeah, have to spend so much time saving everybody else. Uh, they can deal with their own shit now. Yeah. You know? deal with it. <laughs> so, congrats, Dad, and uh, happy retirement. Yeah. Uh, so, since it's kind of a strange episode, timing wise, we're just going to go into questions since uh, there's not a lot of news. So, you guys ready? Just ready to go I'm down? So ready. Yeah, I kind of thought yeah. that was going to be a Stranger Things. Like lead in, you know, because like season four, it's, strange it's good. Week. It's good. There you go. But uh, the only spoiler I'm going to give you is that it's not the whole season. So if you're ready to like, if you haven't watched it yet, and you're ready just to binge, yeah. you have it all done. Uh, it won't be done when you're done because mm-hmm. the rest yeah. comes out for July Fourth weekend. So I like the idea that that could be a spoiler. That like, oh man, <laughs> I wanted to be caught. I wanted to be caught <laughs> off guard and surprised by running out of episodes. <laughs> Oh, the ending is ruined. You told me the ending, which is that there isn't one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I don't want to... If there's a show... I did this with Arcane. I waited until it was fully out, and then I just watched it straight through, and I'm so glad I did. Well, I will say, though, you know, there's psych studies of support that actually you enjoy things more if they're spread out. Shows in particular, if you actually spread them out, like, over... You know, some time. But I enjoy them. People. I'm saying the broad you all of the broad y'all of scientific literature. Which I think. So I think about this way. Most people enjoy using the dishwasher, Mm -hmm. right? And I hate that thing. I hate it so much. I don't enjoy the dishwasher. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Because the dishwasher gives me a series of chores to do later, right? Mm. Like, I got to do some dishes now, and then I got to wait. And then the next time I'm getting a dish, I got to be like, oh, wait, are there dishes in the dishwasher? And if there are, I got to open it. And then I've got to decide, ah, crap, there's a lot of dishes in here. All I wanted was one dish, but now do I unload these or do I leave them as a chore bomb for the next no, person? This sounds like a, <laughs> sounds just sort of like a work visibility problem, you know? It is. Definitely. Dishwashers don't make, they, they obscure a bunch of work. I mean, I feel the same about laundry, right? Like you, you start the laundry and then like sometime later you got to go move it. And then sometime later you got to go get it again and then you got to fold it. So it's like a series of chores spread out over time. Uh, and for whatever reason, I'd rather just you want to do it all. I want to, I want to do it and be done, get which I mean, done. I don't wash my clothes by hand, but maybe I should. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you do that once, you probably have a lot more uh, love for your, your laundry machines. So it might be good. You know what I mean? Might be a good exercise anyways, regardless. Yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I don't know, maybe I would be curious to see that survey done on people of different neurotypes. Mm. See like if you're, how do you deal with uh, starting a thing and then stopping it? Right. Starting it it again and then stopping it. Is it better for everybody or just most people is essentially the question. Most people. Who's being obscured? And is it really most people or is it, you know, is it because usually in those studies when they when the end result is is oh like people prefer this or do this or whatever right when you look at the actual spread of the data there's so much overlap between the two cases that the only way you can make the claim is statistically as in you can't pick a person and say that they'll fall into that camp because right. the correlation is so weak right but it's strong enough that it's that's probably real 
It's just that it's kind of like, it's like human height, right? Because it's easy to say like, uh, like on average, this group of people are taller than some other group, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But when you look at the height distribution though, the overlap is like 60%. It's enormous, right? Between the two right. sets of curves. So most people are actually about the same height between the two yeah. groups. Yep. Even on average, a group is taller. <gasps> yes, because if you pick right. any one person and all you had was their height, you can't meaningfully guess which group they're going to fall into, right? And the same so if you say, yeah. right, unless they're an extreme, right. yeah. And even which then, is, if they're if they're they would far have to be, yeah. yeah, 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 they'd have to be real far out there. Yep. So, anyways, Stranger Things, <laughs> I'm going to binge it. I'm going to binge it later. Do it, because uh, that's my style. You will be right, binging for a questions. long time because the yeah, episodes okay. are long. It's basically a movie each time. So just, yep. just you got to really buckle in for that binge, you know, get your yep. binge pants. Maybe I'll on. do, maybe I'll do episode, take a walk and let it sink in. And then next episode, you know, mm. just like a five, five minute breather, mm-hmm. let it marinate, grab some snacks. Probably a, break. I think it'll probably be a whole day by the time that's whole. It will be. Yeah. Parts out, so. Cause Perfect. I spent, I spent <laughs> most of the day watching the, the part that did come out, like almost the entire of a Saturday. And then I also still had one episode left the next morning that I had to watch. So it's a long game. It's a, uh, it's a lot. It's good. Though. Oh man. I enjoyed it. And that's not even, it's not even done. So yep. yeah, I got it. I guess I'll need to set aside a weekend. Yep. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Highest upvoted question comes from Tim Conceivable, who says, correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. But I, but I believe I remember you guys saying that part of the reason Scuffle Buddies was scrapped was because it was too big in scope for the studio at the time. Yeah, it was. Now that you're nearing the completion of the game changer, does that mean that Scuffle Buddies or a game like it might still be a possibility in the future? Or will elements of it end up in Crashlands 2? I would say, well, we're not going to make scuffle buddies. I'm just going to go ahead and stomp on that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That step is on a it. risky game. Yes. It's a little too damn weird. So if there was some way to slice it down into a much smaller little thing that you could do in like a month or something, then maybe. But also, I don't know if I care that much about it, to be honest. It was just, just a fun, fun but weird, and who knows. Uh, but as far as like yeah, the it was, scope. It was pretty cool. It was cool. Weird. Uh, yeah. As far as the scope thing, the reality is that the Game Changer extends our ability to hit large scope projects massively. And uh, yeah, so if we had the production processes in general also, which is the other big point, all the productions that we've been doing as we talked about last episode is about scale, right? Uh, every single part of it from how the studio, even just the times that people work, you know, we work, everybody works flexibly and uh, all sorts of other stuff about how we handle our email and using, you know, Favreau and all sorts of stuff. So everything we do has been about increasing the amount of stuff, the amount of throughput, uh, which means that if we did make Scuffle Buddies now, we could. I think it's very easy to say. Um, yeah, I'd say I'd say what we're trying to get to is is no scope game development. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yep. Basically, so people right. are always talking about scope, scoping projects, scoping projects. Why do you need to manage scope? Mm. The answer is because it takes time to do things. Yeah, true. Right? So if you have six months to make a game or a year to make a game, then you have to scope it based on time, mm-hmm. and based on resources and complexity and everything else. So think about this way is if – Everything that you do, you can do almost instantly, mm-hmm. okay? Then you don't have to scope your game. Yeah. You just make the game that you want to make, right? Which, of course, this is an impossible ideal because there will always be parts of the game that will take time to make, 
But if you want to get as close to no scoping as possible, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I, yeah, I think you just I do what you a, want. There's a difference between, I, I think, or at least we could conceive, we could define a difference mm-hmm. between scope and scale, right? Because to me, scalability yeah. means we have created a way of doing something so that now we can apply input and then in a linear way get this, get output. So we can keep on adding more input, get more output. It's just a one-to-one kind of relationship. Or ideally a one-to-many, you know, like some one leverage. Because yes, growth, growth is one-to-one, right? It's like more resources yeah. with the same level of output per resource. Scale is right. more per resource. And then scope, though, I think has to do with complexity, right? So Because mm-hmm. when people talk about out of scope or talk about the scope of a game, they're not talking about like necessarily just the number of things, which true, true. is a lot of what we are really able to do with the, with the game changer. But the other part is the dealing with complexity. And that has a limit on it, which both is the tools, but actually more importantly is the ability for your uh, designer brain to actually grok the relationships between things. Because that is something that you can't, once you go PS, like past the ability for a person just to conceive of the thing and have a mental model of it, then now unless the system itself can operate in some degree autonomously with like things plugging into it, you know, then that's where you hit the inability. You can still can scale, like you can scale each part by adding more inputs and getting more outputs, but you might not be able to increase the scope. That yeah, well, I think, I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think about it as complexity just so much as resource management, right? Which is like, scope is about relative, it's about relativity as far as I'm concerned, which is, uh, which is if, if you have a game design that you can't build with the resources that you have, whether it's yes. time or people or money or whatever, um, then that's out of scope, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, and it could be that it's because it's so complex that everything takes too long, or maybe it's just too big. Like you're just, you know, you're, you're trying to make too many things, each of which are actually quite simple. Mm-hmm. Um, you just but you just don't it. have the time because it just takes, you know, takes a week to make each thing or whatever. Because you're, you're kind of talking so. about like breadth versus depth basically at that point. Right. So like, as an example, if you have a, if you make a hack and slash game, right. Um, or actually let's take the, the original crash. That's actually a good example. Uh, the weapons. Every weapon was the same weapon in the original Crashlands. Like, yeah, we dialed some numbers around a little bit, but they didn't functionally, on the design side, you don't have to think actually at all about what the next weapon is because it is just the same as the one before it. The numbers are algorithmically pumped up, right? The swing so, animation is the same. Yeah. It's all the same. So yeah. we're talking about scope and in, in, with that kind of content, right? There's content scope, which is how many things then, how many things of a known sort are essentially required to produce what feels like a full game experience or the game experience that you're intending to produce, right? But then there's the other kind of scope, which is basically, I think, what I'm talking about, the complexity scope, which is, okay, yeah, you have weapons, but you're going to need gadgets, trinkets, creatures, right? Like, how many kinds of things are there throughout the whole system? I mean, different systems, maybe. Uh, and how do they talk to each other? And that's where, like, your complexity, your depth aspect maybe. Yeah, because it's and it's the because you can either just have lots of stuff and it may be along a few different dimensions, right? Or you can have less stuff but that interacts with each other somehow to get combinatorial yeah. complexity. And you can you can scale in both those ways. The fastest way to do it is with combinatorial stuff, just by mixing yes. things together somehow so you get new experiences with the same stuff. But roguelikes are so popular. Yeah. But that's the stuff that gets really hard as you start as you add new systems because the combinatorial complexity explodes so fast that that's where in that design role, as you're trying mm-hmm. to because you're trying to build out a kind of experience, 
for players to have, right? Or collectors. Not just soup, you know? Yeah, not just not a soup yeah. of like an unknown, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, right? And so I think, mm -hmm. I do think there is some kind of a limit there of just how, yeah. well, and it, not that there's like a limit built in, but in terms of like, it's a, it's a thing you're going to hit when you're scaling a game, when you're trying to make it bigger, when you're trying to make it more thorough, you know, to try to simulate mm -hmm. a world, try to do something like that. Uh, I think that's one of those things that you can get out of hand really really easily and it requires good tools definitely to manage that but also it's still even with the really good tools at some point it could go beyond the ability for one person to just kind of yeah, know how to just a lot. about we yeah so, that's a, so it's, there's probably a bunch of there's different dimensions here then because it's like so one of the things is, is this idea of like resource scope right which is mm -hmm. just do you have the what you need to make the thing but then there's sort of like cognitive scope which is yeah. is this thing so fucking complicated that you actually can't deal with it anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, in which case, you don't have the like the tools to manage the cognitive scope of it. And yep. then there's this like uh, design scope or experiential scope, which is like let's say let's say you're making a game like Kerbal Space Program. You can build rockets, right? Mm -hmm. And then you say, well, I mean, if you can build rockets like and and rovers, why don't we also add the ability to make cars and buses and mm. trains. And then like you can uh, start up a transportation program. And now that we've got that, what about like managing this? It's like, okay, so now you just like have the, the world, mm -hmm. right? Yep. <laughs> just the whole world as a game. So at that point it starts to become too much of everything. Well, you sort of, it's not, you actually move out of marketability scope at that point. Right? Cause like, yeah, it's know, trying I mean, to do too many and things. And you stop being you able know, to predict how, like, because if you had if you had that scenario where it's now it's like transportation simulator of all forms of transportation, right? And now you're trying to predict because how to like how to handle how science points are allocated, like because Kerbal Space Program you basically mm -hmm. get science points by accomplishing stuff, right? And then you spend them on research because so you can do more stuff. So it's one thing to balance that in the context of like, oh, it's a space program, so you do all this stuff, right? But if you can also spend those points on your bus program and on your on your whatever, <laughs> and then <laughs> well, and trying actually, to predict it's how like. What is it going to mean yeah. for at the tail end of the bus program? What is the state of my space program now? And like, how do those things interact? In that case, actually, because they interacted in a small number of ways, but across this, like, but very deep, they have very deep dives you can go into another part, mm -hmm. you know? So then that also becomes really hard to manage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is it really providing a better experience is it you know is it helping the game or is it just like here's just more stuff <laughs> yeah. uh, i think to me so the, that's the real things yeah. with scope blowout are typically when you are you're adding things that don't actually add to the experience that you're trying to hit and i think that's it's a different the different target at that point which is that to me i want to make i want to maximally make but crash lands 2 in this case right uh the problem is you don't know exactly what that is right until it's done, which means it's easy to go off and make something, make a weird appendix. You know what I mean? A vestigial yep. system <laughs> that you thought was doing some work for that core vision when actually it, it isn't. Uh, and you could spend a lot of time in those zones. And I think that's where having a really, a, just a clear idea of what you're trying to, to get out of something is super important. Yeah. So it really comes down yeah. to then, because people talk about these things as if they're absolute, like, because you'll, you'll hear people just say to some designer, like, oh, that's like, that's, that scope is enormous, right? When they're like somebody's describing their game, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And usually that's true, but it's true because of the context, which is that the scope is not an absolute thing. It's relative to the tools that you have to accomplish the task, the human resources Team. to use the tools and and the skills that they have, and then the amount of cognitive load required, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so each one of those things is actually an, like an, an independent lever that you can manipulate and do stuff with. Um, but that propagates into all the rest, right? So like, so we go really heavy on tools because that reduces cognitive load, reduces the number of people needed to make the same amount of things, and reduces the amount of skill needed, right, to make things. Mm -hmm. And so if you go really tool heavy, you can knock all those other things down pretty rapidly. Um, but you could try to do it the other ways also, um, mm -hmm. where you just say, everyone just has high cognitive load all the time because we're not investing in tools, right? And we have to meet this vision that we have, but we just have more people and we make a design that splits the load up more so that. Yeah. And something that, that you'll see in AAA teams is like, so investing in tools is a long-term thing, right? And like much larger scale uh, AAA studios tend to solve most problems by throwing a lot of people at them. Mm -hmm. Right. And then having those people highly specialize and they are a little bit more begrudging to hit pause on things and invest in a bunch of tools. Pause, right? pause costs a lot in absolute monies at that scale. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if they stopped development on their game for a month to work on the engine, you know, then they would think like, oh, did we just miss our launch date by a month? But of course, probably not because you improved your engine enough. Right. But, you know, nobody thinks in those terms. Um, and so that's where you find, I think it's, it's really interesting seeing the way that job positions get posted at larger companies where they will say like, we want a, a loot designer, right? Like we want somebody whose job it is, is to own only just work with the loot systems in our game, mm. or we want a combat programmer or whatever, because they, they isolate people out into these departments and that's how they've scaled. Mm. Right. Um, because they're thinking the game is complex enough that no person can handle the, the cognitive load of the code base and the systems and everything else, um, which I still think is actually like true of a team. Like mm -hmm. the amount of communication necessary for everybody to be on the same page is very high. And yeah, I still we, think that the only way to really things, solve yeah. the problem is with tools. Yeah. 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 And you shouldn't have to know all the things, right? Um, but yeah, everybody tries to solve this problem in a, in a bunch of different ways. And then, yeah, the question of whether or not it's in scope or out of scope is, yeah, it's all context mm -hmm. dependent. So like in our case, when it comes to uh, making Crashlands 2, yeah, the reason we're making the game changer is is because we saw what I would consider a resource scoping problem, mm -hmm. right? Which is like we had the vision and the design of the game where we wanted it to be, but we didn't have the timeline and the tools to get there. Uh, and it was just going to be impossible to manage cognitively, right? Um, so that's what the game changer solves. And it will enable us to do something like Scuffle Buddies if we wanted to make mm -hmm. a game that was a lot more strategy-based and had like a huge number of, let's say like, you know, I think about a game like, like Pokemon, right? Yeah. Pokemon has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of characters, each of which can learn bunches of different moves. And those moves have all kinds of interactions. Um, something like the game changer would make it quite easy to do something like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Without, without having to worry about the scope of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll see, we'll see what happens after Crashlands 2. Cause whatever happens after Crashlands 2 will be the first game that we will have made, you know, with the game changer at the start. Right. Because we've had to develop the game changer during Crashlands 2. And most of what we did, we did for the first year without the game changer. So, yeah. so it's it's going to change things quite a bit. Uh, next question comes from Retro Banana Man NL, who says, what is your favorite hotkey? I recently got oh. told about Windows V to call the clipboard history, and it has been a game changer for me. Oh, I 
didn't know yeah, that. Clipboard so that's a still. good, yeah, that's a good tip. Favorite hotkey? Because mm, it's because that's really asking what your favorite action is. You know, it's like what is your favorite thing to do with the press of a button. So I moved delete in all of my art programs to the number four because mm-hmm. it's all the way over there. Otherwise, yeah, what's it doing over there? Uh, both backspace and the Dell key are both on the right side, which is super annoying. So yeah, it's uh, good on that left like, hand. So blowing stuff up, uh, but more conveniently, is very much my favorite one. Mm-hmm. So I got. I'm gonna go. All right. So my favorite key of all. My favorite hotkey is obviously gonna be Alt Tab. It's a pretty good. One. Yeah. Um, which is a. I mean, it's a well known one, but like, man, imagine not having that. Yep. What a what a horrible life. You know, I feel like you would Alt live. Tab also. You know, there's those there's those things that are like the shape of the thing that they represent. Like how the word bed looks like a bed. There's like that sort of weird thing going on. I feel like Alt Tab. I'm not, you know, do you, do I'm you not know? totally sure about the bed thing, but the view the word bed. <laughs> You're right. It, it does. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. It's got a headboard enough. Yeah. So there's like these weird kind of like <laughs> little little bits of nice uh, synchrony or whatever else going on, and like Alt Tab because again these are just two random keys that are on the board, right? But it is an alternate tab, right? It's like you could. It feels like it is actually the thing that you're doing as opposed to everything else, like control V, what? Like that doesn't necessarily feel like pasting something, but like it's an the number alternative. number of times I've pressed tab. that button, like alt tab yeah. throughout the day. Although I use a lot of Windows mm-hmm. tab, which is your virtual desktops to navigate between desktops and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so between those two, now, that's kind of a lot of what I end up doing. Now, there are some keys that I want to talk about that shouldn't exist. Yeah, hit, hit me with your okay. beef keys. Okay. Beef Insert. Keys. In the insert key agreed can just fuck right off. Hundred percent, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, the only time that I hit the insert key is after I have accidentally hit the insert key and need to deactivate. And actually, on a lot of my keyboards, I just yep. yeah. On a lot of my keyboards, I actually just pull the insert key off of it so that I don't have an insert key. <laughs> Good. Okay, because. Why? Why do, Why does this exist? Yep. Who says, mm, I want to type exactly over this thing that I just typed, it's but so not weird. in a way that like, it's such a bizarre thing. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen anybody purposely use the insert key for literally it anything. It feels like an aggressive typewriter holdover, right? Where you it literally does. had to yeah. type over things. But the, like, the cognitive requirements to be like, oh shit, I need to replace this. With this other thing, the, I need to know what the correct number of characters it has, <laughs> so I know if it actually lines up, and therefore I can choose if I should use insert or like why? Why? It's the dumbest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> okay, actually, so if, yep. if anybody out there uses insert, uh, please what te- tell us. What are you doing? What are you, are you doing missing something? <laughs> what is I will say so. Insert. Yeah. Insert. Also, numlock. Numlock is also bad. Mm. Yeah. You ever, you ever try to on. use your numpad and you can't? Numlock. <laughs> Why, Why is there a button that only turns off a chunk of my keyboard? Why don't we have a letter lock key that just lets me not type letters too, or a space lock where I can hit that and I can't use the space bar anymore? Yeah. Why stop at the numpad? You know, just give me all kinds of landmines to just <laughs> fuck over my typing experience. Also, well, put I mean, it right next to the thing you want. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that numlock is supposed to swap state into movement keys, right? So my numlock is off. Is it? Yeah, but I already have those. Oh, yeah. I, don't I already know have arrow keys. <laughs> but it is not that it just disables them. It just turns them into useless keys, which is, uh, I guess, effectively the same, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. Because when I press four on the numpad, what I want to do is go left. <laughs> That's what I want to do. Yeah. I think my favorite, my favorite hotkeys uh, are context specific ones um, that do cool stuff. So for me, it's basically all in, in my code editor, Visual Studio Code, where I have a handful of hotkeys that just do some things that if I didn't have them are really annoying. And I would say probably my favorite one is, is control uh, quote, um, hmm. which oh. toggles the kind of quote marks used. So like if I, if I just stick my cursor inside of a, of like a sentence that has quotes around it, and then I just hit that button, oh. then it like finds the quotes on the outside and then it toggles them to a different kind of quote. Cause there's like three kinds of quotes in programming that I need to be able to use. Um, and Cause like it's weirdly common for JavaScript that yeah, I need to be able to like swap the kind of quotes that it is. Mm-hmm. And I can just like, I can be writing in the string, just like writing stuff in it and be like, Oh shit, I need the other kind of quote and just hit control, control that thing. And it just flips, flips them. Mm-hmm. So I have a whole bunch of like weird things like that, that make a lot of sense in programming context, but not elsewhere. But, but the other one, which again, these, these aren't exactly hotkeys, but it's like, yeah, oh, they are. They it, are. But like, it is, it is, but like my, macro it's, it's context aware, you know? Yeah. But uh, also in, code editors, um, being able to just highlight something and then just hit a left paren or a left square bracket or a left curly bracket mm, or a left quote that wraps it or whatever. And it just wraps that selection in that thing instead of deleting it and replacing it. Like I've, I use that so much and I've gotten so used to it that I always try to use it in other things like Google docs and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and every time I'm like, fuck, cause I just deleted something. Instead of, <laughs> instead of wrapping it. So, but I like, Oh, it's something. Think, what was it? You told me about Adam, how you can like, you can hit, Hold control and press left or right arrows and Oh yeah, right? that goes forward uh, and back in history. It, was that- oh, no, it goes forward and back by a, a word. Oh that one, yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Control- which I didn't know about, but you just like can jump to the next word in like pretty much any word processor. Yeah, if you're in a word processor whatever. and you hold down control, hit left and right arrow keys, it'll jump from word to word. And if you're holding shift at the same time, it'll also select while it's going. So you can like nice. My, I think my favorite one in um in like a, con- a little more context specific in image programs is the control click or control shift click where it, depending on what your, where your mouse is, it basically shoots a line into the depths of whatever the painting is and whatever it hits. Yeah. Whatever layer it actually hits first, it selects that layer to draw. on. Some people don't use this and I don't know how they're not dead. So they just like, they just go to the the menu on the side and just they try to find it. Layers, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you just control click or control shift click to get the one you want by looking at it, and it's just so much yeah. better. God. Oh, okay. I got one more. I got one more that's awesome. No, hit me, hit me. Okay, and I this is this is something in Inkscape, and I don't know if other programs do it, but it's the style paste. Yeah, other programs do oh, do control, it. Control shift V. Yeah. yeah. Control shift V. Yes. Yeah, so Google Docs has Inkscape. That. Lots of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like an Inkscape, if you got like a, let's say you got like a green circle with like a black outline around it with a stroke thickness of three, right? If you just hit, if you copy that shape and then you just click on any other thing, just select any other object and a control shift V, then that thing will become green with the same outline and same stroke mm-hmm. and everything. It just, it, yeah. it keeps everything else, but just pastes the style. Inkscape's version of that is, yeah, because uh, that one's very cool and very surprising, because um, yeah, in lots of other contexts, you actually—that's how you strip styling off of something when you paste it in. But there, it's actually you only take oh. the styling, which is—it's mm-hmm. like thematic, yeah. you know, like it's related, so you can remember. But it's—it's it's different. Yeah, I think, I think I feel like I'm just spoiled by 
code editors because they do so much more, you know, when you're and like, and they have plugins that do more stuff. And because some of my other favorite ones are, uh, was it control up and down to just the line you're on just to move it up and down, like mm. to swap, just, just can, move like, it. You can just change the order of things, you know, just by just doing that. There's just all kinds of stuff like that that's just there. so, makes it so easy to just manipulate things really fast that uh, you just don't get in regular text editors. Multi though. So good. I think, here's the thing. Hmm. I love hotkeys, just hotkeys. I think picking yeah. a favorite one is doing a disservice to all <laughs> of those hardworking hotkeys out there that That's true. give us so much, you know, and ask for so little. The thing that we all should do as a society is we should try to respect and appreciate our hotkeys more and like go into the programs that you use a lot and look through their menus and look at those hotkeys and some, learn them. Find a loathsome hotkey that's been left to the waste, you know, that like you don't know about, maybe no one knows about. And uh, Yeah, because it has almost never been the case that I learned some hockey combination and think like, man, I wish I hadn't learned that. It's almost always <laughs> instead like, damn, this is great. <laughs> There's yeah, this new thing that I can do and I can do it. I can do it instantly so fast. Uh, yeah. And if people instead just spend all their time like doing everything by, you know, select something with the mouse and like right click it. You know, and try to like navigate mm-hmm. a menu. Don't don't waste your well, time. It is kind of it is an hot interesting keys. thing, though, right? It is is hotkeys both make available, but also hide enormous amounts of like things that you can do. Yeah, right. Because and I think like a code editor is a really good example because literally, like if you, if you open up in my code editor with between the stuff that's built in plus all the extensions and stuff I have, there's literally like a thousand hotkeys. Like not even exaggerating, just like different things mm-hmm. that I can make happen, right? I couldn't possibly memorize all of them or, and wouldn't even want to use the vast majority of them, right? But every once in a while, there's something that I had no idea mm-hmm. was possible, right? And like one of them that I've been, I've been coding for just forever, because it was only like a couple of years ago when I discovered this, or maybe I think Sure told me about it. It's like, it's I think it's alt, left arrow, or right arrow. In my code editor, just moves my cursor back to the last position my cursor was in, right? No matter what file it was in. So if I have like, oh. if I'm, if I have a project <laughs> open, right. And I've been like moving between files or trying to like organize my code and stuff, you know, and like I work on something here and then I have to go over here to fix something else and whatever. And I need to get back to where I was. I can just hit alt left and mm, go. It's like your own little browser history. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Like, and actually you can use that where in, was in the browser too. Like a browser also respects that same thing to go back and forward in history. Right. Mm. Which is, that's like one of the things I just had no idea existed because it only lives in hotkeys. Right. It's like not the way I think about it is like, this is how you become immortal. Like this is the fountain of youth, Mm -hmm, right? Because if you can, if you can just any task that would have taken somebody a minute now takes you one second, Mm -hmm. right. Then you've now just like stolen time. Hotkeys are the, (laughs) yeah. Hotkeys are the path to godhood. I think is the, the truth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's people say like, you know, time is finite and you can never have more of it. It's like, yes, you can actually. You can have infinite time if you just learn enough hotkeys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right. Next question comes from C Price, who says, knowing what you do now, would you go back and tell 2014 to 2016 B-Scotch to stop making Crashlands 1 and instead make the game changer? Or do you think that you had to go through the experiences of making Crashlands and Levelhead to obtain the knowledge to design, build, and deploy the game changer? Definitely wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah, I think if we shouldn't have have done it then. I'm pretty sure people (laughs) probably were telling us. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like it's 
a rare piece of knowledge out there to be like, oh yeah, if you want to go really fast, you should take time to build really good tools. You know, if you want more of a thing, build a really good tool to make more. Well, of and we, thing. I mean, we thought, Microsoft, we, we were doing that. We were building tools, mm-hmm. right? But it's limited by the combination of our capacity and knowledge and ability to do that stuff and uh, how we understand project management to work, yeah. right? And like what productivity means and all that kind of stuff. And and we did invest heavily in miscellaneous tools. I mean, the, the story, that time, right? The creator, the crash and creator, was the thing that we did. It's the closest yeah, which, thing. To and it, yeah, it basically is an early game changer, right? Yeah. It uh, but it was still so limited because we hadn't seen the kinds of patterns and ways of generalizing things. We hadn't seen the kinds of problems over and over again. Uh, and we, and the reason it was restricted to like the the text and then like these and like kind of drawing stuff out in the world and stuff versus much more deeply integrated is we just couldn't really conceive of what it mm-hmm. meant to offload things that, that to us just seemed obviously programmatic, like things that a programmer has to do, you know, into this new space where it's just data. Like that that strict separation, I think, was something we just didn't have a strong enough hold on until very recently. Yeah, we had a, we well, we had a basic idea of it, but it was always thinking of things in very specific yeah. terms, right? It was like, how do we, how do we edit the Crashlands campaign data? Yes. Yeah. Right. Not how do we edit data? Right. We all, we all like anytime we would solve a problem, we would always only think about it in those very and it's in its little silo, you know, in its bubble. Um, yeah, you're right. Like until you've seen enough of those, you can't zoom out enough and, to find the, yeah. the overlap and try to generalize and mm-hmm. to varying degrees of success. Right. Um, because we've made fuckloads of tools, we've experimented with different approaches to how we organize things, how we organize the work, how we do our pipelines. Um, we've so done tons and tons of experiments to various levels of success and failure and so on, right? And I think even if you can conceive, like in the kind of vague terms of one of these ideas, um, it's really hard to fully grok even the concept without having not only sort of seen the ideas before somehow, but tried to do stuff. Um, and that's just something that just takes fuckloads of time, you know. And game maker trying to trying to make the yeah, game changer in the game maker of old would yeah. have been an absolute nightmare yeah, because they've done they've done so much to update the IDE and the engine and what it's capable of, so that it's actually quite easy for us to not easy, but like you know, it's it was comp it's complicated to make it's something doable. like the game changer, but it's not hard because of the engine. Yeah. Right, it's it's just hard because it's a complex and hard thing to solve. Uh, whereas in the past, uh, it I guess just to put it pretty briefly, it now takes one line of code to do something that would have taken ten lines of code in the past, and that so, would have had a ten percent likelihood of creating an error. So, uh, yeah, but one that was very hard to find. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think, and also, you know, it's easy to say like, oh, like knowing what you know now. Um, uh, because one of the things we didn't know now was what was going to happen with Sam's yeah, cancer. That's true. Yep. And we were in short-term mode. 100%. Correctly. Yep. Right? Um, and so that's another thing. It's like, yeah, you you do – you don't know what's going to happen next week or tomorrow or a month from now. But there are sometimes things that happen that make you a lot more aware of just how unknown that immediate future is. Uh, and that was one of those things. And mm-hmm. I think we just did the best we could. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, you know, yeah, that's an important point to acknowledge that the reality of how the world is structured that we live in and how we're taught to do things, but also just how we're allowed to do things 
is that it tries to put everything in the short term. And it's really hard to spend time investing in the long term because sort of just across the board, nobody believes in that, you know? So like if you can't give a return to shareholders, if you can't, you can't go tell an investor like, oh yeah, like we're, we're going to spend like a year building these amazing tools so we can make this thing, right? And they're not going to give you money for that. They want to see that you've already like, done it. Like, no, no, no. Don't do the tools. Just make the thing. Yeah. Just make just the make thing. thing. And just like, the and tools they part. Yeah, they don't care if it's broken. They don't care if it's not scalable. Because they're going to be like, we're going to give you $100 million. You can hire 200 people. And that's how they solve the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's all very short term. And so that that is the reality of the stuff is that there's a certain amount of luxury in being able to actually just yeah. think long term. The reality is that we are mortal, so uh, you you can think long term. We're trying not own. to be because we use hotkeys, but exactly yeah. that's part of the fight against it. But I think yeah, you you can yeah. Anytime you're working for uh, far future endeavors, there's there is an inherent risk, which is just that you won't be around to capitalize on any of it, really. Um, or that you just you run out of resources before you get there. Yeah, I mean, whether you're dead your or the studio's <laughs> dead or whatever. Yeah, right. Something's um, dead. Something's usually dead. And we talk about this with networking, whatever else, which is that most networking efforts don't pay off for, I'd say, probably two years plus in terms of like just getting to know, if you're doing this sort of scattershot, like knowing a lot of people thing uh, in a particular industry, it just takes a fucking minute, you know, for for things to pay some dividends. And so sometimes you don't have a minute. And so all you do, all you can do is just like jam the stuff in as best you can. And then that's that's what you got. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's so a reason I hope, that there's I hope, a, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say there's a reason that there's a, whether it's like lifespan or like the success of a company, if you look at like an actuarial table for a lifespan, right? The longer you continue to live, the more likely you are to live longer than, yeah. than like, right? Be, and it's the same deal with a company. Like the longer the company's been around, the more likely it is to continue being around. And that's basically because of what, if you, the longer you can survive, the more likely it is that those long-term things get to pay off, right? Yeah. Because if you've made it that far, that means you have enough to have made it that far, which means it's likely that you'll have even more stuff coming and so on, right? And so that's a lot of why we stress so much, like, just trying to survive in the industry as long as we could with the idea that eventually, if we could just survive long enough, then it would start to pay off, right? <laughs> yeah, you're just rolling, you're just making gambles, right? Whether it's yep. launching games, going to GDC and trying to network with people, meeting other developers, but like everything that you're doing is like this little roll of the dice that might pay off at some point later and, and help you. But if you're not around later, then too bad, yep. right? So you just got to hang in there. Uh, all right. So we have one last question, which comes from Icky Drag Dupe. Hold on. Let me try this again. Is this a rumpus name? <laughs> I, it I like think it. it's a rumpus name that got translated a little bit. Icky Craig Dupont. Icky Craig Dupont. It's good. Who said... Or maybe it's Icy Craig. It's like I-C-Y-K, which is for some reason my brain can't turn those letters into a sound. But uh, they said, how do you understand your old code? Is there anything you use, like a note system? I came back to mine after a month and tried to expand on it. Yet my first thought was, what the heck is this? How did I make this? (laughs) So I used to have this problem until – uh, I read by Adam's suggestion the book called Clean Code. It's a good one. Definitely read it. It's just some basic principles about how to write your code in a way that keeps it clean and understandable. And I think the biggest culprit is names. Yes. By the biggest culprit a million is names. miles. Absolutely. 
And when I say that, I mean people just don't name things. And so, for example, instead of let's say they have a variable that represents like the speed that a projectile is traveling. Okay. So you could call that variable P, which a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. And then when they go back and look at it, it'd be like P equals 29. And they're like, the fuck is that? And then (laughs) eventually they can reverse it. You know, you don't know. Yeah. yeah, Because the problem is like, well, even if you do figure out that it's the speed, what is the speed in, in units? Is it pixels per second? Also, what is it even the speed of? Yeah. So if you have... So if you have the variable called projectile speed pixels per second, and that's the variable name, it's long, right? Yep. But you know exactly what it is when you see it, and you will never be confused, right? And so the in the book, they talk about how when you're programming, you actually are spending at least 90% of your time reading yep. code, so make it readable, right? And, yep. and stop if worrying you about feel the like writability. You, people obsess about like, oh, if I have short names, it's easier to type and so on, right? Well, first, mm-hmm. ideally, you have good tools learn to, that help you. T- yeah, learn how to type yeah, faster. And learn how to type you know, faster. Or <laughs> <auto-tools>, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you just completes. That's where the yeah. real magic comes from. Yeah, through. yeah. You're, and, and other just like nice little rules, like a function should do one thing, right? Because because a function is a little bit of instructions for your for your. Uh, computer to do something, right? And if it says like, if let's say this, you got a function that's just like add two numbers together and that's the name of the function, right? And the function adds two numbers together, but then it also goes and deletes a file somewhere, okay? <laughs> then later on, you'll be like, mm, I want to add some numbers together. Let me, oh, let me I have a function, file. add two numbers together. <laughs> and then you didn't realize that, oh shit, I deleted, you know, you got something deleted, didn't know why, don't know how that happened, where it happened, because you have a function that's secretly going mm-hmm. behind your back and sabotaging mm-hmm. all your shit. The nice thing is that uh, these reinforce each other because if you adopt a really strict belief that you just have to name things to exactly describe what they are yeah. and what they're for, right? If you do that, then the moment you try to name a function that does that, because then their function name will now be add two things and also delete a file, right? That's now the name. Of that <laughs> then function. you're like, they're like, this is a dumb function. Yeah, you're like, wait maybe. a second. Maybe we should break this apart. So yeah, yeah. it's 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 about conventions with respect to naming. It's basically like that's the whole fucking thing. And, and then outside of that and actually along with that is your tooling because the tools are what allow you to then name things well and manage that as it starts to get kind of verbose and clunky, you know? But weird. Yeah, because if you have really good tooling, then it can help you keep track of stuff because really what you're trying to do is reduce the cognitive load of reading your code. And that's in the moment that you're writing. And this is even stuff like, even if it would be easy to write it in a certain way where like, where you, I don't, try not to get into weeds here, right? But if you're trying to like, if you're doing a few steps and it seems obvious to you, it's like, oh, I added this and I added that and I checked to see if it was true or whatever. If you did something like that in a series and it's just a series of operations, then somebody going in and reading that, they have to go read all of those and, and then try to, and then work oh, through it in their hey. brain. Like, yeah. what is this doing? But if you instead save all of that as a new thing that's just called like these things added together because whatever, like you just like give it a, a dumb, long descriptive name, right? That says what that shit represents. Then now, like if I need to, debug it, I can go read through the logic of it. But if I'm not trying to debug it, I'm just trying to understand what's happening and orient myself, I don't have to read the logic. I can just look at the name of the thing. I can just yeah. read it in yeah. human and, English. And and walk pe- people, people also use a lot of comments, right? Where they say like, I put comments everywhere to explain what my code is doing, right? If you if you have to do that in order to understand the code, it's because your code is un- unreadable, yeah. right? And so uh, 
I think like, and, and kind of to Adam's point about giving names to things that you otherwise wouldn't even think to name. So like, here's an easy example is like, let's say you're, you're looking through a list of things and you're using the letter I to represent the position in the list. It's very okay? common. Yeah. Complex. So, so, and then you want something special to happen when you, when you're on the last element of the list, right? So you could have your code say something like, if I equals length of list minus one, then do something, right? Or you could make a new variable that's just called- uh, Is last? Is last, is last item? item in list. And then you set that variable to hold the answer to that question. And then when you look at your if statement, it'll say, if is last item in list- then blah. And suddenly you're like, oh, that's English. Yep. yep. <laughs> like, Read. I know what's happening now. Yeah. Turn your code uh, yeah. into English. And yeah, I will. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say there's a, there's a similar problem on um, on the art side with layers in particular. So I never used to have this problem in Inkscape because it used layers and have anything going on. So no layers. Yeah. Um, well, you got them, but you just didn't use them because they were a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but with layers are what kind of unlock a lot of just other, just frankly, very robust functionality on the digital side that makes it better than, you know, doing stuff traditionally in a lot of ways. Um, but people, there's there's one thing that's always missing, which is there's no metadata attached to layers, uh, at least in, in Clipsudo Paint. I don't blame Photoshop because Photoshop doesn't seem to care too much um, about what brushes have touched to that particular layer, which means that for those of you who have downloaded, like you can download brush packs of like thousands of textures and stuff like that. You're not going to be able to, when you come back to a piece even in a week, you come back and look at it. You can't tell what brush you used on that piece unless you either name, you put it in the name of the layer, which is what I do now, um, or uh, you have sort of like a curated, very small list of all of those brushes, the big pile of them that you're like using as a set across your work. Uh, which I'd I assume the reason you want to know that is so that when you go back to edit it, you can use the right brushes. Exactly, because otherwise, I mean, yeah. imagine you know using a pen when it should be a freaking marker. It's like it's not; it doesn't look the same by any stretch. Uh, and you kind of need to be able to yeah. go back and do stuff to it. Um, yeah, because if you if you don't name things, then you have to reverse engineer yeah. stuff. And the other one right. I will I'll recommend on the art side too is uh, at least in Clip Studio Paint, there's a layer color option where which sounds kind of funny, but basically what you can do is you can just set uh, all of the pixels in a particular layer to only be a particular color. So let's say I drew, uh, I did some some line work for a thing and it's in, uh, I don't know, red or something. And then later I'm like, oh, I want this to be black. You just hit that layer color uh, filter thing, basically the like application on the uh, on the layer itself, turn it to black. This is one really useful thing for uh, looking through your layers, which is that if you're working on layers that have a lot of smaller, sparser details, I'll, like usually it's a uh, highlight layer, stuff like that, where you literally like, there's a little thumbnail down there, but you can't see shit in the thumbnail. Like it just is a blank space. Uh, you also don't want to have to take the time to name every layer, actually, in uh, art stuff, because you have too fucking many of them. It's a pain in the ass. So the benefit of having the layer color be an established thing where you actually only work in one color on a particular layer, and obviously this doesn't work for everybody, but in my case it does, is that it puts a little, you actually see the color that is on that layer in like these big block squares that pop out uh, sort of on top of that little cropped image where you can't see shit. So you can actually tell like, oh, that's where my orange highlight's coming from, and you can just mm -hmm. see it. Uh, even though the thumbnail doesn't mm. show you when the thumbnail's trying to show yeah. you, but it can't. Yeah, I do the same thing Very with nice. uh, with because or, organizing like code files is also a huge problem. Like where it's yeah. like so any one of my pro I just I just migrated a project from one place to another uh, late end of last week, and I was confused because the sheer there were three hundred files, and I was like, is this project really that big? There mm. were three hundred fucking files, and it was, and and it's organized in a particular <laughs> way, right? But like 
I remember back when I was working on that project a lot, like just navigating that was really hard, right? And so over time, I you know worked on my organization. But the other thing that I've learned over time too is to to take completely different approaches to naming things like like Sam is talking about here. He basically said, what does the tool allow, even if it's not for that purpose, right? And so, and like and what can I get away with? Can I can I find some things that it wasn't really intended for? And so like one of the things I discovered I could do was if I organize my code into what the, the the software is called a workspace, right? But if I organize it in that way and told that it was a workspace, I have, I have access to extra settings. Mm. One of the things I can do is tell it which folders are, are like my main folders and it puts them all as if they're at the root instead of wherever they actually are, right? Mm. So it's already cool. Now it's like flattened and made it a little easier to see. But the other thing is you can, I can just put a new name in there that only shows up in, in the sidebar, there. even nice. if the folder has a completely different name actually, right? And I also found I can use emojis in those names and it works just fine. Right. Oh, six. So, so you can basically flag them as like, like this yeah. is what I'm working on today. Icon, put icons on yeah. it. So yeah. I can just see it. And so I just have icons that like make a, so like, so, so rumpus, for example, uh, is a peach because it looks like a butt, you know, for rump, you know? So like, nice. if I see a peach, you're yeah. like, oh, that's a rumpus thing. Like, and, and it turns out that <laughs> in the editor, everywhere you see a file, if you have like this, like multi folder kind of setup, it shows you the whole path to that file with the name of that folder in front of it, which means mm. now every time I see any file, it's tagged. With like some with, cute little emoji that I can with the use to immediately grok what it is. And before I did that, and a few other things that I also changed, before I did that, I would be like looking at a file and trying to figure out what am I looking at right now? Yep. Well, it's just a nightmare. And the more stuff I put together in one place, it became just less and less possible to manage. And then I just was experimenting with stuff because I just needed a better solution. Mm. Tried stuff, even if I, th- I, I was... Like, I thought it wouldn't work because, like, why would anybody let me put emojis into a folder name now? And then it just did. So I was like, dope. This Slick. Is, it's all about <laughs> cognitive load and trying to reduce mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely read that book, Clean Code. And otherwise, like these guys were saying, just think about your tools. And if, you ever have, if you're ever having, having a hard time navigating a project or whatever, that's refactor time. It's mm-hmm. time to look at what you've got going on and add tags change some things, make it so that it's easier to understand. And that way, the next time you have to revisit it, it'll be no problem at all. Yeah. And it's also about right? like super tools to use. Super yeah. So, so, and there are things where the tooling makes it harder or easier, right? Because if you can't rename things easily, um, that makes all this a lot harder because then you can't fix a thing when it's a little unclear or whatever, right? But if it is easy, then, because like I, I rename stuff constantly. Like every time I'm reading code, if I'm confused even for a second, then I rename the thing I'm looking at because the tooling that I use makes it so that I can trust that that's going to work. But if you don't have that, you're just kind of stuck because, you know, renaming stuff introduces yeah. yep. risk of errors. So, so try to pick good names at the beginning. Yeah, pick good <laughs> names and when you, when you have <laughs> access to, and when you have a choice between tools, choose the one that's going to give you the best support for writing good code, even if you don't like the language as much. This is, this is why a lot yeah. of people like typed languages is even though it's really strict and it forces you to do things, it makes it hard to do some stuff. The tooling now can do so much for you to help you write your code and more importantly to help you edit your code. And so, you know, when you have a choice, just use type language. Yep. Unless you don't, in which case, just name stuff well. <laughs> just name stuff well. <laughs> uh, all right, well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net. We have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.